this and then we're going to Luke 8, 26. We're going all the way down to 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Garrisons, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land and met with a man from the city who had demons, for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to command them to depart into abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man for whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole country how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you for your word that we just read. Lord, I pray that you would teach us through it. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through it as well. Bring up applications, Lord, that are impactful into our lives, Lord. May we rely on you more through the hearing of your word. May we trust in the grace that we have in Christ more through the hearing of your word. <coughs> hearing your word, Lord, is important. It's a means of grace. Lord, we are desperate to hear your word. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that all of us, Lord, would be, would, be, would, would just be continuously in your word throughout the week. That we would come and hear your word preached on, on Sunday morning. That we be involved in Bible studies and accountability groups, Lord, to be continuously in your word. Lord, I pray for Dinah and Kaylee this morning, Lord, and uh, Lord, I pray for Kaylee as she is in labor currently, Lord. I uh, pray, Lord, that like her water is broken. Uh, Lord, I pray for the doctors. I pray, Lord, for her. Lord, I pray that you would give her peace and calmness right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, for Dinah. I pray that she would be there and she would be supportive and encouraging, Lord. We thank you for them. We thank you for their family. Lord, we pray for Elijah, Lord. We look forward to meeting him soon. And Lord, we pray for Elijah, Lord, that he would come to know Jesus Christ at a young age. Lord, I pray that you would use him, Lord, to further your kingdom and to spread the gospel of the nations. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the Southern Baptist churches throughout the country, Lord, the devastating news that we got this week of just the, the evil and the sinfulness that was done to children, Lord. Lord, we are all prone to madness. 
where we are all prone to sin. Some of us, uh, Lord, maybe maybe some of us are not believers. Maybe we 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 come into these rooms uh, portraying, wearing the mask, being good actors, but. For some of us, we are not followers of Christ. We don't act like, we don't follow your word. Lord, I pray that you would convict them and that they would come to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are in positions of leadership in these churches, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give them humility. Lord, I pray that you would give us all humility. That we would be more dependent on you. That you would, you would break us of our arrogance and our pride. Lord, that you would help us to care for children, to minister to children, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would use us, Lord. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and pray that you would use us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, A little info about Kaylee. So that's all that I know. (laughs) So hopefully I get a text message while we're preaching. Maybe Elijah's here, or maybe later today. We'll make sure whatever information we get to give to y'all. Uh, I know that y'all care about Kaylee and Denton and be very much about them and are excited for them. So um, praise God for what's going on there. So, um, so we're in Luke chapter 8. And I want to uh, introduce this. Obviously, I, I really do like this story a lot. I don't know if this is your first time you've heard this particular story in the life of Christ. But this is such an interesting and fascinating story. It's such a powerful story. And it goes along with what's going on in the entire chapter of Luke 8. Of course, Pastor didn't preach last week when Jesus calmed the seas about the power of Christ. And it kind of, this theme continues into this next story about the power of Christ. Now, in the last episode, we see Jesus power over the, the natural world and he can calm the actual sea. But now we get... Uh, another expression of God's Christ power, as he has power over demonic forces as well, over the spiritual world. Obviously, Christ being the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that all things were created through him and by him, John chapter 1 says, that it's obvious and quite logical that Jesus would have power over the demonic forces. But for those who didn't know Jesus in that way, they have seen him, they've seen him do miracles, maybe the disciples are following him, they have yet to see Jesus do something like this. And I was reading uh, during Thanksgiving, you know, when you're at in-laws, you're kind of looking for something to do, right? You've met family, you've talked to family, and you try to, you want some me time and some quiet time. So I had a magazine for The Atlantic, which is a magazine that I have a subscription to, and I, I had it, I brought it with me, and I was reading through a few articles. And that particular day, I, I came across an article about demon possession. Um, this is the, the Atlantic is not a Christian magazine; it's a secular magazine. So the writer of this, this article was just observing and did a study on demon possession in America today. And the article is called "American Exorcism," and what the uh, the author I have it right here on my my phone. So um, what the author made an observation. He 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 found out that. Um, um, actually, this one, yeah, Mike was his, his name, the writer. But he, he, he observed that um, exorcisms or people going to the priests or going to the bishops about, about uh, demon possession was how has increased over the last few years. There's one particular bishop in, um, um, in Indianapolis. He is the official exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and he told uh, this, uh, this, this writer in October that he had received 1,700 phone or email requests for exorcisms in 2018 alone. 
by far the most he's ever gotten in one year. So this he's observed like 1,700 phone calls or emails from people or from family about a demon possession, either by that they had a demon possession or that they had someone in their family. That's a lot of that's just one particular diocese in Indianapolis. We're not talking about it across the entire country. And so this is becoming an issue that has been noticeable. It's been something that people have made observations about. And, and it's what's so interesting about this, and I don't have a lot of data, but I uh, was a part of the church that I was with formerly before Redeemer Fellowship Racing. Community Church on the east side. Um, we were a part of this ministry called God's Grill, and there's a bunch of guys that would grill hamburgers and hot dogs, and they would go to like a poor part of town, and they would pass out food. And we were on uh, Fulton Avenue, and uh, they uh, we were passing up food. I was helping. I was talking to people. Well, this guy comes by, and he was riding on a bike. He comes off the street, and I asked him what his name was, and his, his name was Lucifer. And then he said, I said, really? And we started talking. I said, where did you come from? I said, well, I've been alive for thousands of years. I had This is a conversation I was having with this guy. And he was telling me about, and I said, what do you think about Jesus? Well, he started getting really angry. And he started cussing me out. He started, he started dropping the F-bomb. He got really angry with me. And he stormed away, extremely angry, just because I mentioned the word Jesus. And so my assumptions after that was, there's something going on that's not right. Number one, he's seen, I mean, he couldn't even tell me when he was born. He said he was thousands of years old. He, was, he said he was born before the creations of the earth. And so something was going on with this guy. He was either demon-possessed or something was going on. And, and so there was this, I had this observation, I had this experience just a few years ago with people and demon possession. And that's really what, this is obviously one of the main themes, the main um, points of this particular story in Luke chapter 8. And like I said before, kind of continuing the theme of Christ's power, really in this particular story, we get a lot of the themes in chapter 8 that kind of get poured into this one particular story. And, and I want to talk even not only just about the power of Christ in this particular situation, but also the, the we talked about the parable of soils a few weeks ago in chapter 8. And we talked about we don't really know what heart that people have, that some people, when they hear the gospel, are hard to the gospel. Some hear the gospel, yet you would never expect come to know Christ. We find out that that is a good soil, that we can't make that observation just by external factors. Who is going to receive Christ? Who is going to believe in it? Who is actually going to persevere in the faith? And who is actually going to reject it and will not uh, come to believe in Christ? I mean, we get this in this particular story as well. So starting off here in the beginning, we see that Jesus was, remember, he calmed the, calmed the sea of, calmed the sea when they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, this great storm uh, brews while they're on the, on the sea, and after they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they had left from Galilee, remember, his headquarters with, with Capernaum, so he gets to the ship, they, he calms the sea, the disciples were freaked out, right? They have, who is this? He can't even actually calm the, calm the sea, and kind of, the story ends with that question that the disciples have. So they get to the other side, they go to the region, the garrison, which is the opposite of Galilee. This is an area that is primarily full of, 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 of Gentiles, not Jews. And so this is where he goes. And he goes to this, this small town, this village, uh, on, the, on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And he gets off the ship, says it steps, he steps onto land, 
And there met him a man from the city. So there was a city that was close by who had a demon. Who had demons, actually. So this demon-possessed man from the town meets him, and he has had demons in him. And we learn later in the story that for a long time he's dealt with these demons that have possessed him. So what does it mean to be possessed by a demon? It means to be, in a sense, controlled by uh, the forces of Satan, by the demonic powers, by the dark, with these unclean spirits, by these dark spirits. They control him, they control his minds, they control his body, they control his voice. When you hear this man speaking, it's not the man speaking, but the demons that are actually speaking. So it controls his voice, it controls his body, he's not wearing any clothes, he's living in tombs. His mind has been corrupted and controlled by these demons. And, and so when it comes to demon possession, the question that I've always had is, how does one become demon-possessed? Right. I, I unfortunately saw The Exorcist when I was in high school. The movie freaked me out. I couldn't sleep for days. Right. I don't know if you unfortunately watched that movie as well. But uh, that was, I mean, kind of our perception of demon possession usually comes from the movie The Exorcist or some other horror movie uh, that maybe you have seen with demon possession being kind of the main part of the, the, of the actual horror. So that's kind of Hollywood is really our kind of our, our, our lens into demon possession. Maybe some of you have actually been to Africa or parts of the world where you actually have experience or, uh, or talked to somebody who was demon possessed. But for most of us, it's Hollywood, it's movies, it's horror films. But what, how does one become demon-possessed? How does one become controlled by demonic forces? So we're talking about the kingdom of darkness. We're talking about uh, these angels that have fallen with Satan, with Lucifer. They're part of the kingdom of darkness. They're part of the kingdom of Satan. They're the uh, opposition to uh, God and to Christ and to the Holy Spirit and to the church, to the people of God. So people are vulnerable to demonic forces, to possession by demons, through most of the time through idolatry. Uh, we even know from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, that when Paul's talking about uh, buying uh, food that has been offered up to idols, that there's demons, that he says, that are behind these idols. That's really the idols are, 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 the, are those demonic forces that are behind this. So when people are worshiping idols, they are worshiping demons, they're worshiping demonic forces. So again, being in, this is being a region of, Galil, of, 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 of Gentiles, these aren't Jews, it's prone or most, most likely that this particular man worshiped idols, that this was a major religion or the major religious uh, practices of those particular people was idolatry. They worshiped pagans and, and idols and these type of things, kind of like the Roman Empire or Greek Empire, that they worshiped idols and temples. And so, therefore, they had a house god, and behind those house gods, are demonic forces. And so you're vulnerable to these demonic forces. You know, we didn't experience any demonic forces in Nepal, but when you go to Nepal, which is mostly Hindu, you go to some of their religious temples, and there's idols everywhere. I mean, uh, Robert can, can, uh, um, can echo me on this, that you go to these places, and there's, there's idols everywhere that people will worship. And behind those idols are demonic forces. There's demons. So people in Nepal or people in India or other people who worship idols are vulnerable to demonic possession. It happens in Africa when you're worshiping spirits and animals. And behind this demonic, behind these pagan religions, these ungodly religions that people worship, there's proneness for demon possession. 
You'll hear stories of, of missionaries going to Africa and experiencing people who have demon possessions because they worship demons. They worship idols. There's actually been a rise, there's been a few articles in the, in the, in the media recently about a rise of Satanism, people worshiping Satan in America, actually. Those people will be vulnerable to demon possession if they're not already demon possessed. So for a long time, that's all that it says, that for a long time, he wore no clothes, and he dwelled in a graveyard. So you can, you can imagine a man who hasn't worn clothes for a long time, what he would look like, right? He would look almost un, uh, unrecognizable. He almost probably doesn't look like a man. The only thing I could think of when, from the biblical text was like, remember we went through Daniel and, uh, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar became a, became a beast? I, I, I kind of think that he looked like a beast. Someone who just almost, you would go, is that even an actual person? Is that a man? He's really hairy, very dirty. He didn't wear clothes for a long time. Some of you may not wear clothes for a day, maybe two days. Maybe you would just wear your underwear for a day or a few days. And you look a little rough, right? This guy didn't wear clothes for a long time. What do you even know what that means? Maybe it was a year, maybe it was two years, maybe it was well, a long time he wore no clothes. He was dirty, he was naked. Just to think how exposed you would be to like wind and rain. He would probably have bruises all over him, sores all over him. I mean, he's living in a tomb or amongst, amongst the graveyard, amongst the dead. He smelled really bad. He actually, he dwelled in a graveyard. He dwelled amongst the dead. I don't know about you, but I don't like graveyards, right? Who likes graveyards? What freak, freaky person likes graveyards, right? But usually, if you live there for a long time, man, that'd be torment. That would be very scary. I mean, think about sleeping next to a tomb. How scary that would be. How tormental that would be. So this, these demons tormented this man. He wore no clothes. He had no control over his body, his, voice, his mind. He also was, was forced to live amongst the dead. He had violence toward himself. Mark 5, verse 5 said he cut himself with stones. He was in solitude. Some people enjoy solitude. Some people do very well in solitude. People like not to be around other people. Some people do not do well. And solitude. There was a, uh, I was reading the story about a man who did a long, he was like one of the first people who tried to go across, the, to go around the entire world like solo in a sail ship. Well, he went crazy. They found his diary, he died, they found his diary, 25,000 paid words of just madness. He went nuts. This guy is naked, living in a graveyard by himself. Most likely he went completely mad. He was, a, he was, completely enslaved to this demonic forces. He was removed of all his freedom completely. We think about uh, um, Paul in Romans 7.20 talking about enslaved to the law of sin. This man was enslaved. He had no freedom whatsoever, no control over anything that he did or said. He was completely vulnerable and to the mercy of these demons. He saw Jesus and he cried out. He shouted with a loud voice. I'm like, why don't they what I'm screaming? He screamed. He shouted at Jesus. He fell down before him and said with a loud voice. He screamed. He shouted. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Why would he say that? What an odd question. First off, he acknowledges who Jesus is. He screamed out loud for all to hear who Jesus was. He was the son of the most high. 
It's fascinating that the voice of a demon, of demons, he says Jesus is the most high. He's got good theology. He's got good doctrine. That is who Jesus is. What have you to do with me? What is he speaking of? He says, I beg you, do not torture me. Why would he say this to Jesus? Why would he say, or would they say, do not torture me? They feared judgment, and they knew Jesus was the executor of judgment. If you, re- if you go back to Revelation 20.10, it talks about the final judgment of Satan and his angels or his demons. They were thinking Jesus was coming on the second, his second coming. They were thinking this is, Jesus is up. this is when Jesus is going to throw them in the lake of fire. He says, he says, what do you have to do with us now? We, our time is still relevant. We still are allowed to be on earth. Why are you here? Why are you here to judge us? He begs him. He begs Jesus, do not torture me. I love the switch that's happened here. Well, first off, he, they, they, it says here that, that the demons seized him. Uh, they broke, that it would cause, they would, basically they would put um, chains around this man to control him. And so that he wouldn't uh, get loose amongst the, the people or the animals. And so they seized him. They guarded over him. They, but he would break the chains. He would smash the pieces of shackles. They tried to fasten on him this demonic uh, force that was in this man was extremely powerful. Nothing could subdue him. I, I was thinking of like King, uh, King Kong when they tried to like chain him in that theater and they were like kind of put him up there as this big show and he breaks the chains, right? You can't subdue King Kong, right? And he's far more powerful than shackles or chains. This man just bursted through the chains and the shackles that were placed upon him to control him. There's a lot of power, a lot of force. Nothing could subdue him. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion. Legion is a term in the Roman Empire, the Roman military, that would have 6,000 soldiers. So it would be a company of 6,000 soldiers would be called a legion. So he even says that many demons entered into him. That means thousands of demons were in this man. He was tortured by thousands of demons. He was completely powerless to the authority of the demons. His identity was swallowed up completely. He, whatever his name was, let's just call him Jim. Jim was dead. Jim didn't have a voice. He had no identity. He was lost to madness completely. Third point is the Son of the Most High God. So the, the first point was the, the village, the village idiot. The second point was the, the legion, this demon possession, this, this thousands of demons that had entered into this man, that had eaten up this man's identity. It swallowed it completely up. He was lost to complete madness. So then they had the Son of the Most High God. I love the shift in verb pits. I love the shift in verbs. You have this man who was entering into, these demons had entered into the man. Uh, he was seized, but then he would break the chains. He smashed the pieces of shackles. He was forced out by the demons into the deserts. The demons had all the power, right? I mean, they did all the action. The man was passive to all the action that was happening. But then the story changes, the shift of power that happens. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, he commanded the unclean spirits to come out for the man. Jesus is now the one the most powerful. He's now the power seat. He's the one dictating what is happening. The demon possessed, the demons are now the ones receiving the action instead of doing the action. There's a shift in power. The, the, the demon says, I beg you, do not torture me. 
They beg Jesus, not the other way around. The man's not begging to the demons not to do something, not to torture him. It's the demons that are asking Jesus and begging Jesus not to torture them. The demons begged him in order that he may not command them to go into the deep pit, that they wouldn't be sent to final judgment, where the abyss is or the, or the, 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 the place, the deep pit. They begged him in order that he would let them enter into these herd of pigs. The reason why we know that this is a Gentile area is that no Jew would be a herder of pigs, right? The Jews didn't eat pigs. So again, we know the audience that, that, that of the people that Jesus has sailed to. He sails to these Gentile people, this Gentile city, this Gentile town. They begged, the demons begged Jesus that he would let them enter these pigs. And again, pick up on the verbs here. They begged Jesus. And Jesus let them. He gave them the authority to go into the pigs. He let them go. They came out from the man and went into the pigs. The herds rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they drowned it. The, the demons were sent out of the man and they entered into the pigs. There were probably a few thousand pigs or a few thousand demons. They went into the pigs. They rushed down the hill, down the, into the lake and drowned. There's a huge shift of power that happened. These demons had full authority over this man. They controlled his voice. They controlled his mind. They controlled his body. He was naked, living in, in, uh, in a graveyard. They forced, they forced him into the desert. But now Jesus enters the scene, and they have no power whatsoever. Jesus has taken all the power, and he commands them to leave the man. And they enter into the pit, and then they drown. There's a story in church history uh, before the German people became Christians, before Christianity came to Germany, there was a missionary named St. Boniface, actually one of the Catholic Church uh, and on, the, on the west side of Franklin. I think it's Boniface, maybe something else. Um, but Boniface was a missionary to the German people. And there was an oak tree called the Jupiter Oak or the Thor's Oak. These people were North mythologists. They believed in pagan gods. And this tree had special power. And the, the missionary, is a great story, the missionary cut the tree down. This tree has no power. It, it, it's, it's worthless. It's a tree. My God has all the power, and he freaking cut it down. Well, they're waiting for the guy to be killed on the spot. They're waiting for Ronovitz basically to fall down dead, for lightning to come down, for Thor's hammer to just smash this guy. And obviously nothing happened to the man. Why? Because there is no Thor. There is no secret power in the tree. Those gods are false. Demons were convincing these people that these guys existed, but they didn't exist. That Christ Jesus has all the power, the tree fell down, and the people immediately praised God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they realized who truly had all the power. It wasn't Satan, it wasn't the demons, it wasn't these false idols, it was Jesus Christ who had all the power. And they recognized that. The fourth point is the villagers. The villagers, the other characters in this story. So the herdsmen, they see what happens. They run and told the city. The people come out of the city. They come out of the village, right? The villagers, right? The village people come out of the city. You think of like beating the bees with the torches. They're all coming out of the city. They're coming out of the village. They're going to find what happened. They found Jesus, found the man, and the demons came out. So think about it. They, they knew this guy who was unclothed for a long time, living in the graveyard, screaming, hollering, cutting himself with rocks. They would chain him and guard him, and he would break the, the, break, the, the, the chains and the shackles. He would be screaming 
And they come out, and the guy's not doing that anymore. He's clothed. He's of the right mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's not screaming and shouting. Think about a big surprise to these people. I mean, they've been living for a long time in the reality of this particular person who was out of his mind, full of madness, a lunatic, a, a maniac, and now he's no longer this anymore. What a big surprise that would be. They see him clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they were afraid. They were afraid, not of the man who was unclothed and not the right mind and a mad. They were afraid that now he was so peaceful. It says they were full of fear. They were overcome with fear. And what was there? It, it, the, the herdsmen told them how the man was saved. Like, what happened to this guy? We had to become accustomed with him being crazy and maniac. That was no longer that. What happened? Herdsmen tell him. Well, Jesus sent the demons into the pigs, but the pigs ran down the hill and they died in the water. What was the reaction to that truth, to that miracle? It says that all the people of the surrounding region asked Jesus to go away from them. Jesus has all the power. He shows it. He brings this guy from madness to peace. And their reaction is, go away? Go away? They were overcome with so much fear of what Jesus did that they asked him to leave. So going back to the parable of the soil, who is the good soil and who is the hard soil? It's not the maniac. It's the villagers. They are hard as a road, as hard as a stone. They hear the truth. They hear about the power of Christ. They experience the identity of Jesus Christ, and they rejected him. Satan ate it up. They were more comfortable with the lunatic than they were with Jesus. They preferred their sin and their reality over Jesus and his power and authority. They chose Barnabas over Jesus, right? They chose the murderer over the Savior, over the King of Kings. It's the same reaction. The Nazareth people, the people of Nazareth, rejected Jesus, rejected his word, rejected his kingdom. They had organized their entire lives around this lunatic. They had become comfortable with the reality of this maniac, this madman. So Jesus presented them a new reality that had, they had no category for. They grew accustomed to the village idiot, and they did not grow accustomed to Jesus and his power, and they rejected him. They chose their sin, they preferred their sin over salvation. That's the true sadness of the story, is the villagers. They just totally rejected Christ. They rejected his power. The missionary, the man whom the demons had come out of, was begging that he may be with Jesus. Begged him. They, he begged Christ that he would go with. He could go with Christ. Think about his logic, right? At one point, he was completely in, under control of demonic forces. He had no clothes, lived amongst the grave, had no voice, no mind, no control, no freedom. And he sees Jesus. He sees his power. He sees his identity. He sees his work. And his logic goes, "I should probably follow this guy because he has all the power." With all the authority. He sent him saying. So Jesus sends him away. He sends him out. He says, return into your house and tell him much God has done for you. 
sends them back to the town to proclaim the gospel to his people. It's interesting that Jesus tells this particular guy that he can go back and tells him, don't be quiet, don't be silent, tell everyone that you meet in the city about what I did. What does he tell the, the, the parents of Jairus' daughter? Uh, what does he tell Jairus and his family? He says, be silent about Jesus' raising their daughter for them. He says, be silent, don't tell anyone about this. Man, he tells this particular guy to go back into the city to go tell these people about what Christ has done. He says that when he went away proclaiming to the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. Crying out now, not about madness, but what Christ has done for him. The good soil in the story is the maniac, is the village idiot, it is the uh, man who is demon-possessed. He then produces fruit, as the story of the parable tells us. The unexpected hero, the unexpected missionary, was the former village idiot, who is now proclaiming the gospel to those who rejected Christ. One of my favorite characters in all literature are the hobbits from Lord of the Rings, because I like the hobbits, here's why, because they're not strong. They don't come from a great family. They are short and unexpressive. You can almost overlook them. And the heroes of that story are the hobbits. And my favorite part of that movie is when, they, when all the people bow to them and give their things. Like, I cry. I'm, I'm so teary-eyed. Here's what it tells you. It tells us you don't have to be strong. You don't have to have all the words. You don't have to have an education. You don't have to have some amazing intellect. You don't have to be thin or pretty or any of these things to be a herald of the gospel. Moses couldn't even speak. And God said, you're the one I'm picking to be the one who's going to bring the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. Unexpected hero. The unexpected herald was this Mormon village idiot, this maniac, this lunatic, this madman is now a missionary of the gospel to the village. God's grace on the village. Like he sends this guy back to the people who rejected Christ before. He sends a missionary who testifies of God's grace and power to those people. He now becomes the sower. He becomes a sower of the seeds of God's word and God's kingdom. He now becomes a sower to a group of people to spread the testimony of the power of God, to spread God's grace, to spread God's gospel to the village. What are the qualifications of the sower? Mad men who are saved from madness. The qualification. A woman or man who struggles with depression. A man or woman who struggles with porn addiction or sexual immorality. A man or woman who struggles with discontent and frustration. A man or woman who struggles with fear and anger. A man or woman who has explained, who experienced divorce or substance abuse. Maybe you've been aborted. Maybe you've aborted a child. Not uncommon that if someone in this room uh, has aborted a child, that does not disqualify you from being used by God. I, mean, I can keep going, right? I can keep going and going. If you deal with anger or anything, it does not matter. You can be saved from madness, and you can be used to be a herald of the gospel. All of our lives present sins of brokenness. The sin of Adam has touched us all, right? As we read in the, in the, in the catechism, we are all been touched by Adam's sin. We all experience brokenness. We see it, we feel it, we experience it. Yet God's grace comes upon us and it is poured into our lives and heals the madness. 
than those who experience His grace and are sent out to spread the seeds of God's Word. To testify the power of the gospel on the lives of people. That is one of the interesting things of the story. Is that he sends the guy back to the people who rejected him. God could have, Christ could have said, don't go to them. They already rejected me. Go to someone else. But that's not what he does. He sends him back to the villagers and says, tell them what I have done to you. We don't, we don't hear anything else. We don't know what else happens to this man who was demon possessed. It was saved by God. We don't know what happened. We don't know the people that came into Christ in the village. But I guess, but I bet, well, I bet you, what happened was that he, his testimony and his ministry about what Christ has done did impact life. Because the sower doesn't know what hearts the seeds fall upon. The Spirit is the one who redeems and 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 and, and saves the heart of someone who is lost. I, I may have told this story before about my father, but this story brings it up again, and I just want to, for you weren't there, I want to, I want to maybe say it again, but this story brings this, this legacy up. Uh, maybe you grew up in a Christian home like I did, where your family were Christians, and you always went to church, and you couldn't forget, you couldn't, re you couldn't remember a time you didn't go to church. Maybe that is your testimony, and that is an awesome testimony. But even if that is your testimony, somebody in your family, that's not true. Right? My father did not grow up in a Christian church. My father was not saved when I was born. My, my parents were pregnant with me before they were married. They met in a bar, had sex, then got married. And I was pregnant before they got married. There was no gospel in that wedding ceremony. And then I became a Christian later on, and my brother and sister became Christians. It always starts somewhere, right? The gospel seed touches the heart of someone in a family. And they believe and they trust in Christ. They're redeemed, and, and they have a testimony of Christ's power in their life. And then their children come to know that Christ. And that's my testimony. That's my story. The legacy of my family starts with my father coming to know Christ. It's funny, I remember as a child, we went to a person's house in Baltimore, Maryland. I don't remember who that person was, but I had this memory of going to this person's house. And I think I remember that this person was a friend of my father's, but my, friend, my father wasn't a Christian. My father had just become a believer, and he was compelled to go share the gospel with him. He shared the gospel with him, and the guy didn't accept Christ. But my father's life is similar to this man who didn't have Christ, was living in madness, and then was touched by the power of Christ, was transformed, and then sent out to be a herald of the gospel. Now my father and my mother are now not missionaries, but they live in a foreign country for the prime reason to share the gospel to a, to a, to a group of people. And so, it's so fascinating what God's power will do. It's so amazing what God's power will do. And I want to just, if you're, if you're a Christian here, you are held of the gospel. If you're not a Christian here, if you've lived your life in, in, in sin, and as Paul says in Romans 7.20, you've been enslaved to the law of sin. It is the master of your life. Christ and God is not the master of your life. And I want to just compel you as a friend to accept Christ. The power of Christ would transform you, and you would be quite surprised what God's plan is for your life. He may call you to be a herald of the gospel. 
And you may be a gospel herald to someone, to people that think they knew all about your past. They know about all your sins. They know about all your past mistakes. And you're going to go to them and tell them, this is what Christ Jesus has done for me. He has transformed me completely. And I want to tell you how Christ's power can transform you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you so much for this story. It's such a compelling story, Lord. And if we want to be honest, we relate a lot to the bad man in the story, to the demon-possessed man. Maybe we haven't been demon-possessed. Maybe we haven't been living in a graveyard fully naked for long periods of time. But we understand, Lord, that we have been enslaved to the madness of sin. We've been enslaved to the master of the law of sin. And we, like Paul, need to scream out and say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this slavery? Who will save me from this mastery to sin? And the answer is Christ Jesus. The power of Christ will transform the wicked of us, the most wicked of us all and transform us into heralds of the gospel, into missionaries of the gospel. For some people in this room where they recognize themselves as slaves to sin and they have not put their faith in Christ, and I pray the Lord that they would do so. They would trust in Christ. They would do what this man did. They would sit at the feet of Christ and beg Christ to save them, to redeem them, and to use them. For others of us in here, we have been saved by Christ. We have the, the, bro this, the, the brokenness of sin. We have, have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. But we are still sitting there. We're, we're still not going anywhere. We're, we're, we're not, we've been sent into the village. We've been sent into the town to proclaim, to be heralds of the gospel, to proclaim about all that Jesus has done for us, yet we remain silent. We don't 